welcome to Subject to Talent, brought to you by Allegis Global Solutions. Similar to you, we're always trying to learn more. On this podcast, we speak to workforce and talent experts from around the world, covering market trends, technology, and our ever-evolving dynamic industry. Hi, I'm Bruce Morton, the host of Allegis Global Solutions' Subject to Talent podcast. Today, I'm joined by a great friend of mine, Ursula Williams. Ursula is Chief Operating Officer of Staffing Industry Analysts with over 25 years of industry experience. Ursula was recently appointed as a council member to the newly formed Staffing Leadership Council here in the US, which is part of the Women's Business Collaborative, a movement that is committed to the acceleration of equitable and inclusive workplace environments in the staffing industry. Welcome, Ursula. Excited to be talking with you today. Thank you, Bruce. I'm really happy to be here. Great. So let's dive straight in. So we always ask our guests the very first very first question is always the same. How did you get into the workforce industry and what was your journey to where you are today? Okay. Well, I got in probably the same way a lot of others did by accident. <laughs> so uh, right out of university, I was recruited to go work at Apple Computer here in the Bay Area. And I was very happy because it was the end of the senior school year and I had the entire summer off. But by the time fall rolled around and I showed up to work, I realized that I was to meet some people from a company by the name of Audia, which I had never heard of. And it turned out that, uh, which is today a deco, and it turned out that I was a, what they called, payroll employee. So uh, pretty quickly, I, I learned what that meant was I actually did not work for Apple. My employer was actually Audia, and I was very impressed with the team there. They started taking me to lunch and asking me to come by and meet their manager and their regional. And the next thing I know, they had put a job offer in front of me, and I thought, wow, this is pretty great. Uh, so I started as a recruiter. Uh, their U.S. headquarters was actually here in Menlo Park, California. So I migrated over to the U.S. headquarters after a couple of years on the desk and pretty much for the next 25 years did a random back and forth uh, between corporate headquarters and field positions. Uh, I started again you know, with, with Audia and then I branched out and went with a group of people who had started their own finance and accounting firm. It was a really, mm. really small firm. Uh, but we were acquired by Select Appointments, who was eventually acquired by Vidier, who was eventually acquired by Ronstadt. I think I counted one time, Bruce, I had 15 jobs in 23 years, promotions, but I never left my employer, if you, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I've, I really have had an incredible career in the industry. I tell people all the time. It's the best accident that ever happened because not only uh, did I actually learn recruitment, I learned business, I learned P&L, I learned a lot of international business because I've been able to travel. I've done a lot of different business in small and retail and large volume accounts. I've worked with a lot of different organizations and learned their organizational design and how it goes, a lot of public speaking. So it really is an industry that allows you to get an entire wealth of different expertise under your belt. Uh, and not just yeah. recruitment. So, well, that's something you and I have in common. When I was at school, the careers master wasn't wasn't necessarily recommending staffing as a career <laughs> at the time, all those years ago. Um, but I'm just thinking, all of those companies you were in, and then ended up being acquired. Perhaps you were in the pitch deck. Hey, you buy this company, you get to get us. <laughs> I, I, I could have been part of the sale. I like that. <laughs> 
any for those listeners who must be living under a rock if they don't know what SIA are, but we might have some. If you could just explain who staffing industry analysts are and briefly describe your role as the global advisor on staffing and workforce solutions. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we are a research firm, and I do think a lot of people get confused with what SIA is because we have a lot of different products that we deliver our message out with. But we are a global advisor on staffing and workforce solutions. And we do that both for the staffing side of the business as well as the Fortune 2000. So our memberships are uh, both sides of the equation and the entire supply chain in between. And we inform, uh, connect and elevate through a variety of different ways. And I think that's where the confusion comes in because we do have an entire editorial department. We have a research department. We have a conferences department. We have a certifications uh, group. And so, again, those are just ways that we're able to get out our message and to be able to, again, inform, connect and elevate the workforce solutions ecosystem. But at the heart of it, we are a research firm and we're, we're international. Um, and we cover the entire globe, which is quite difficult in ever-changing times. Yeah, well, at Allegis, we've certainly had uh, a great time and learned a lot from you guys and our partnership over the last many, many years. So thank you for that. Um, so I'm eager to get to the topic of discussion today, women in the staffing industry. As I know, it's something you're very passionate about and very active in driving across our industry. Uh, SAA, you recently re- uh, released a report aptly called Women in Leadership in the U.S. Staffing Industry. Can you highlight some of the key findings of that report and what's it telling us about the progress or lack thereof of representation of women in leadership positions, particularly in the staffing industry? Yeah, I'd love to. And just a little bit more and background behind it. You know, we've been wanting to do something and do some kind of a research report on women in leadership in the staffing industry. And it's been difficult to do. And what was most exciting and probably a silver lining of the pandemic is a lot of different groups began to emerge that were women leaders in staffing. And this one in particular um, really emerged and it did get us close to the WBC, which you talked about earlier. But it was a coll- this survey and this research was a collab between TSA, ASA, the WBC, NAPS, ourselves. And we really had never done anything in quite a collaborative nature before. So it was great to be able to get that out, get a lot of people from the industry and companies participating in it. But, um, you know, some of the findings uh, are probably not surprising, but in some ways, um, enlightening. Uh, you know, for example, what we found is when people are coming into the industry, um, oftentimes there are more women um, than males coming in. Right. Um, if not, it, it, it's equal. Um, there's quite a few recruiters that are coming in. And then what starts to, as opposed to at the executive and the leadership mm-hmm. um, sides of it. And what we find is what begins to happen is a few years into it, probably like five, six, seven, eight years into it, we start to see the drop off. And then we began to see many more um, women not going into the executive leadership positions and into the board positions. Um, You know, some of the stats that we had, uh, which was interesting, is by different size firms. Okay. We see different things. So in our larger staffing firms, you know, the numbers were uh, 56% of the internal staff are women, 26% end up being um, executives, and 16% were board members. On the smaller staffing size, the numbers are a lot different. 77% are women and 46% are in the executive positions. Wow. Um, you know, what, one, of the, one of the areas where I wish we would have gone just a little deeper in is women ownership. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my sense is there's been more access to capital. There's more of the minority funding of businesses. And we do see a lot of women starting their own staffing firms. Um, and, and so, you know, we've got to look at that a little bit closer. Um, you know, while we're talking about women in leadership, the women of color in the staffing industry are very underrepresented as well. Um, so that's another issue and something that we're highlighting and bringing to the spotlight. 5% of the executives are women of color. Um, and I think that's the same as on the board. Mm. So, um, you know, we really just have to dig in here and figure out what exactly is happening and why are no more women not getting up into the executive leadership roles. And those women that are, are they disappearing from the industry or are they taking lateral moves and just moving around the industry at that when they get you know, stuck at that level. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question and, and it's a bit anecdotal, but what we what we see, because they're not even getting into the manager role, let alone the executive right. management role, and there's a sense that something happens around, you know, 33, 34 years old, which might coincide with getting starting a family. Yep. Uh, it might coincide with the struggles of the recruitment industry. It is an incredibly rewarding job, but it's also a demanding job. And so we're dealing with commissions, we're dealing with long hours, we're dealing with evenings where perhaps we're talking to candidates or we're talking to clients, we're dealing with travel when we start to get into the management and executive management roles. And there's a possibility that some of the women are self-selecting themselves and saying, you know what, I want something a little more stable and a little bit more predictable. Uh, I'm going to go into HR. Mm. I'm going to go into marketing. I'm going to. I love being a recruiter, but I'm going to go into internal recruiting. I don't have so much pressure on the sales, the commission side. I have one customer, one customer company, right? I'm not dealing with this entire portfolio. Um, so, so those are some possibilities of what we're what we're seeing. Yeah, it's it's interesting, I, and I on a. Silver clouding, a silver lining, I guess, is perhaps our industry is benefiting from those folks that have been in the staffing industry going inside and realize how hard the staffing is. And, you know, we have friendlies inside an organization, perhaps. I don't know whether that's a, um, I probably anecdotally thinking that way, but, you know, as talent acquisition as a function, as a profession inside corporations has grown like crazy. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, there was no such thing as a head of TA. Um, and I guess that's, um, so our industry has almost become a breeding ground. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, we, we see that. We see a lot of, um, at, at CWS Summit, for example, there's a heavy ratio of women leaders right. in the programs, right? And um, some of them have definitely moved over and they've decided like, okay, I started here, but I'm going here. We see that in our large recruiting teams. We see that in the, again, back in the Fortune 500, of what's happened. And you can go in and you can look at their backgrounds on LinkedIn. And sure enough, you can definitely find that they started in the staffing industry oftentimes. I, I do think it's a breeding ground. I never really looked at it that way, but that's definitely um, a trend that exists. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. I mean, should we be comfortable with that or should we be annoyed with it and saying, you know, we want these super smart people staying in the staffing industry. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the part, I think we should be proud of that actually, mm. because I think any time that we can help further someone's career, 
and they're able to go on and do something that stays inside of, right. you know, if that's the broader ecosystem, I, I think it's a great thing. We end up working together in so many different capacities. The, the challenge is, um, and there's a lot of research on this, that when you have a more diverse executive team, you really have different ways of thinking and you develop different um, just uh, expertise and uh, even profitability starts to come into it. So there's a lot of benefit for organizations to have diverse executive teams and management teams. And I think that's the, the issue is really getting to the bottom of it and figuring out like what exactly is going on. How is it that we can have these ratios when you look at the um, college graduation rates? And I think even in the Ivy Leagues, when you look at the percentage of women who are graduating, um, and then you look at the percentage of women that are, again, sitting on boards or in an executive leadership on the Fortune 500, you know, when I, we think outside of staffing, there, there's it, it's improving, but there's definitely a fall off. Um, and I think that's the issue. It's just how do we, how do we, you know, create a balance, and, and what do we do to ensure that they're getting to those positions if they want to. Yeah, and if we think about, you know, what we've all lived through the last couple of years now, um, so remote work has been, you know, becoming more of the normal, being accepted. Um, but is that, at the same time, that we're seeing more women opt out of the workforce than men, um, you know, for, you know, different reasons. But do, do you think that there's a positive going forward that if there is more of a... Um, acceptability of remote work than those women that had got to that five to eight year experience can actually stay in the industry longer if they have that increased flexibility. I definitely do. You know, I, I think that it's not only just on travel, because I think that's been a difficult, um, real difficult thing for women to do, especially moms. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the industry has been one of that you know, there's a lot of meetings, the executive teams get together and you're traveling to headquarters or you're traveling to a common place. And I do think in the last 20 months, we've seen so much Zoom calling, conference calling, and people are realizing, wow, you know what? Um, we have people traveling from coast to coast and they're on, in the air longer than they're in the meeting. And so this is probably better for us uh, overall. So I think that that definitely should open up opportunities and help alleviate some of the pressures uh, that exist for everybody. Um, but definitely, I think for the the moms in particular. Yeah, we've, we've seen it um, really highlighted in our implementation teams who are predominantly female, that in the olden days, <laughs> every week they'd be jumping on a plane to go and do a you know, 10, 12 week implementation traveling every week. And now we do those remote. Um, so that is a that's had a very positive impact on those people's lives. They've got the life back. Yeah. Um, so that's been incredibly an incredible silver lining right there. So from your lens, and you know, I guess you're one of the ones who've stayed in the staffing industry, albeit slightly one step sideways. I don't know how you'd explain that with new SIA, but I'm not actually in a staffing company, but very, very right at the center of. The staffing industry and, you, and you've got yourself up to you know your current role of the chief chief operating officer as you look through your own lens and also anecdotally what you're seeing with some of the staffing firms who have higher percentages further up the tree um, what are some of the best practices that you're seeing that you could share yeah I, i'd love to you know i was reflecting on on this and i was kind of just thinking back to like what are some of the things and how did i stick it through you know in terms of some of the more difficult times and look there's 
amazing, fun, exciting, and really rewarding. Getting somebody a job and their ideal job, like it is just the best feeling ever. So, um, you know, there's that parts, but there's definitely the, the hard parts, right? When you look at fill rates and you talk about, oh, you know, the, there's a 60% fill rate, 40% you're failing. Right. You know, it's, so it's really, it's tough. Um, but, you know, some of the best practices and some of the things that I definitely have experienced along the way is, you know, first of all, just sponsorship, mentorship. Um, I've been really fortunate that I have had people that have seen um, just things inside myself that would make me a great leader and, and a manager. And um, and a lot of those people have been men, which is interesting, where they've been able to say, listen, you know, you know, we, we think that you'd be great at doing this. And they've then taken me through um, particular exercises, experiences that would advance my own capabilities, like PL before I was responsible for a PL. Um, really understanding the quantitative aspects of the job and the ratios and what it takes to run a profitable, successful business, um, making it reasonable. Um, like I, I know when I first had my, you know, my daughter, I, I thought, how am I going to do this? You know, how am I going to be in the office at 7 a.m. and stay in the office till 7 p.m.? And I just, I had a lot of people that were supporting me. So I would just say like building systems that support um, women in particular and um, with women that are moms, women, women that are taking care of their parents. I think that's the other issue that we have. There's a whole generation that kind of has their, their in between. Um, technology, um, I think I was very technologically, you know, I was interested, I'm, not, I'm a very curious person, but you know, all these stereotypes that exist where, you know, women aren't great at math and science and technology and P&Ls, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I don't think they're true. That's true. But I do think that people box themselves in and, you know, some of the best practices that exist is really organizations helping people to be able to have those experiences before that time comes about. Um, I, because I think that's really important. Also, just, you know, one of the things that the WBC, you know, they have um, nine principles, but one is just um, looking at pay and ensuring that, that the pay and, you know, the, also the inclusion of the role when you're, you're sitting in an environment and you're, or you're looking and you're maybe the only woman in an entire team uh, of men executives, just making sure that the inclusion aspect is there as well. I think is really important. Um, I also think women supporting women is a major issue, and there are a lot of women talking about that. Um, sometimes women aren't necessarily as supportive of other women. There are yeah. there's a group, and you know it's suspected that it's kind of like, well, I had to work really hard to get to get here, and and I'm going to make you tough, so you know what you're going to experience when when you get there. But um, depending on the generations, that's not necessarily the way forward. So it's definitely um, being more supportive in that way as well. And the WBC, you mentioned that this Women's Business Collaborative, right? Yeah, so yeah. Just people yeah. wanting to Google yeah. that after the call. So <laughs> just to spell that out. Another point on that that got me thinking, hopefully that the old male dominated board meetings or exec meetings when everything is around a sport analogy and then women don't feel left out of the conversation and if you bring guys in to hang out, you go and have a game of golf. I'd like to think, certainly um, from my lens, that's gone, but I'm sure it hasn't completely. Um, you, do you think we've made progress in that area? 
I think we've made progress in the form of awareness, but I definitely think it still exists. We I hear a lot of stories uh, about it, and you know, one of the other keys to success is really teaching women how to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I my one of my favorite stories is the group that's going to go out golfing, and they turn around to the female on the executive team. And they say, "Well, you can drive the cart." <laughs> um, you know, and, and it turns out, you know, this was wow. a. Uh, you know, a college athlete who was on the golf team and that, and that type of, so, you know, it definitely exists, but it's, uh, I do think that things are breaking down. There is more awareness and women are definitely more confident and able to speak up to say, Hey, you know, and, and just kind of calling it out and, um, men are confident calling out other men on it. So there's more transparency around it. Um, So I I definitely would like to agree with you that it is improving. It's it's also a cultural thing that um, I've been in the US now, I'm 11 years and from the UK and first thing I had to learn is start calling my beloved football soccer. But anyway, not not (laughs) to my European colleagues, they would not allow me to do that. But uh, sportism are far more prevalent in the US than they certainly are in Europe. Um, everything is, you know, knocking the ball out of the park, and it goes on and on and on. And um, it, so, it's, it's. I think it is a cultural thing that, as you say, I think people are aware of it. Then the next step is actively stopping yourself using those terms um, to be more inclusive. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it's interesting because when you start to really dig in, there's the sports part about it. There's just the want to go grab a beer part of it. Yeah. So even just the part around, let's just go grab a. Let's go to grab a beer. Let's go, you know, gra- grab this. Yeah, let's go to the range. Let's, uh, um, and it's just a bonding. Yeah, you know, it's it's just a form of bonding. But I definitely think that it's a little, it's different, right? You're not going to get, um, you know, it's it's not as common. I think for especially again, a, a woman who has to go home and has a family, they're not going to be able to just go grab a beer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then again, they might be able to. You know, it's just. But I think that there are just scenarios and. There's no rules necessarily. It's just kind of breaking it down and having open communication. Yeah, and inclusivity is all about being more thoughtful and being more mindful. So I think there's a couple of examples there. Hopefully people can just think more consciously about. Yeah. And at the same time, not being offensive. Like I actually had someone say to me one time, like, hey, we're going to go grab a beer, but tomorrow night we can go shopping. And I was like, hey, just because I'm a, a woman, you think I want to go shopping? Like, you know what? I can go and I, I, I can drink whatever I want to drink when I'm there. You know, so it's just it, it's there's really two sides to it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, so um, a little bird told me that you you're writing a book with some of your colleagues and associates. So um, I'm so there's some advice in there. And I know and you personally you are very passionate about the, your piece of that. So just want to share something about that book and your chapter. Yeah, I, w- I would love to. So yeah, more to come on the book. Uh, we are currently under a little bit of an embargo with regards to who's participating and all of their chapters, but we're looking to get it out in February 22, which is right around the corner. Um, my chapter, unless the publisher tells me no, uh, is going to be titled uh, Get Comfortable Being Uncomfortable. And it's really about pushing yourself uh, into new areas and realizing that when you take, you know, the more challenging path and the unknown path, 
um, it's, it can lead to great rewards. And there are a lot of people around that can support you in doing it. Um, but when you, when you venture into something new, uh, and in this case, into you know management, maybe regional management, executive management, onto a board position, um, it is uncomfortable. And whether you're you know no matter what kind of group you're sitting with and what the diversity ex- exists, it's uh, it's something that I do think people have to get more accustomed to. And I've had a lot of experiences along the journey that I shared with you earlier again, in different countries and different companies and boardrooms and mergers and acquisitions. And there was that moment where I was thinking, whoa, <laughs> you know, this is a lot. But then when I'd look back, they were, again, the most rewarding and fulfilling times of my career uh, that really gave me an entirely new set of experiences to, to pull on and to grow from. So, and I also just think in the world today, um, change is is something we can definitely count on and it's uncomfortable, but I think that the more accustomed we get to it, the better off we are. Yeah, I think that ties back nicely on when you mentioned earlier about mentors, having making sure you've got mentors around you because might, that might be a bit more comfortable to be uncomfortable when you know somebody's got your back and that you go to for advice. So I think those two yeah, de- go hand in hand. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, great. Well, um, we're coming towards the end of our comp chat here. Um, so, uh, and put you on the spot, if you had a crystal ball and you can pick the moment in time to your whatever years you think you want to go with, but a few years out, what do you think the industry is going to look like from everything we've been talking about today in terms of women in leadership positions? Yeah, I, I think we're going to continue to see improvements. You know, already here in in North America, when you look at the the head of Manpower, the head of Ronstadt, the head of uh, ADECO, Kelly OCG. Um, AGS and what you've all done. I mean, there are so many powerful women leaders that are at the heads of these organizations or in the executive management teams. And I really believe that um, we're going to continue to see more of it. Also, when you look at the midsize, you know, the 500 million, 600 million firms, and it takes a lot to get there. There are a lot of women-owned businesses. So I think we're going to continue to see more of that. Uh, you know, one of the areas also I, I think that's going to happen, though, there's going to be definitely more technology and we've got to get more efficiencies in the business. So I do think there's going to be more pressure on margins and quantitative going forward and how do we drive more scale um, in our businesses. And so those quantitative skills absolutely need to be honed right. by everybody. And I, that's an area where our up and coming leaders, um, you know, men and women, but in particular, I think that if we have women on the teams that aren't comfortable with that, we've got to get them exposed to it. On the flip side, and there's been a lot about this, the uh, emotional quotient that is needed to drive teams forward and today um, is something that, you know, everyone's talking about, right? You can look at all the research yeah. that, you know, EQ is just so important. And I think that that's something that um, it's an eight. There's a, a lot of women and women leaders come to the business with that. So that's going to be a really great balance because on one side of it with technology and the quantitative aspect, but on the other side of it, um, you know, the EQ uh, which they naturally have, which not all people have, right. uh, is is going to balance it out. So, you know, my my hope for the future is going to be it's it's going to be different. Um, but I think that we're going to continue on the path that we're on. 
but not just, it's not going to just happen. We really have to hone in to our own businesses and look to see, um, you know, who are our future leaders and what skill sets do they need to be able to really be successful and to make it. And blended teams um, in all aspects of diversity um, are, are, again, just really critical to um, the more balanced organizations, more profitable organizations, organizations that can recruit and retain talent and really create incredible cultures where people can stay for a long time um, are, are what's needed. So that, that's my hope and that's what I, I think will happen. Fantastic on that very, very positive note. And I'm there with you all the way, by the way. Thank you, Ursula. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, where should listeners go if they want to learn more about SIA? Oh, thank you. Um, our website's a good, great place. So it's www.staffingindustry.com. Uh, we host conferences seven times a year. We have webinars. We have a member services team that can help out. And I am always available. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Um, and I'm pretty easy to find. Or you can just reach out to me directly. Great. Thank you, Ursula. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you so much. Cheers. To learn more about AGS, please check us out at AllegisGlobalSolutions.com. You can also send questions for me or our guests. Just tweet us here at Allegis Global with the hashtag subject to talent or email us at subject to talent at leadersglobalsolutions.com. And if you enjoyed our podcast today, please subscribe, rate us and leave a review. Until next time, cheers.